Hello, everyone, and thank you very much for tuning into the Sheila Zelinsky Show. Well, listen, we're, of course, coming up over the holidays here. I'm going to be playing some rebroadcasts that I think are amazing. In fact, I'm going to be playing the top five viewer choice shows over the holidays. These are five of my favorite. I'm going to be playing them sequentially. They're 30-minute shows. This is in the last 36 months. We took our analytics, and so coming in at... Number three is a show I did with the amazing Leo Homan. I hope you're very blessed by this conversation. Take a listen. I want to jump right into the program. My guest is Leo Homan. He is a veteran journalist and news editor for news giant WND with a particular focus on immigration and Islam. The book is called Stealth Invasion, and listen to this subtitle, Muslim Conquest Through Immigration and Resettlement Jihad. It is a brilliantly researched book, and I can't wait to get into it today. Leo, welcome to the program, sir. It's a pleasure to have you on. Absolutely, and I'm thrilled to be here with you today, Sheila. Thanks for having me on. Well, I want you to give folks a little sneak peek on, you know, why you decided to tackle a book like this. It's a topic that needs to be discussed. But you know what I find fascinating? And I got to tell you this real quick. I had a Muslim man contact me and, you know, he said, you know, Sheila, you just don't understand the plight of us Muslims. I study the Quran and you just don't understand. It's only the radicals. People just misunderstand us. And if they could just really understand. And I said to that guy, listen, I'm not fooled by this devilish religion. You know, there's so many reasons why Christians don't speak out. But there's also a lot of confusion I find in the body of Christ in regards to Islam. Yeah, there really is. You know, there's this dual-edged sword uh, within Islam. You know, you have the soft side of Islam that they call Dawah. You know, that's the outreach, the evangelism. They talk about the religion of peace. And they don't really delve into any of the details of Islamic doctrine or Islamic theology. They just sort of call the unbelievers, the infidels, to Islam. And they figure, we'll explain the details to them later. And this is really the thrust put forward by the Muslim Brotherhood, the International Muslim Brotherhood, which I go in to some detail in my book explaining what they're all about. And understanding that organization, I think, Sheila, is really the key to understanding what is going on in the world today. You have these two sides. You have the jihadist, which is the one that we're all familiar with, who, you know, goes to a cafe or a bus stop and blows himself up or attacks people in the middle of a dinner at a restaurant with knives. We're so familiar with that type of attack. That's the jihadist. But then we also have the Islamist. And I've heard it explained one time in such a way that has stuck with me for for years now, that the jihadist is just an impatient Islamist. An Islamist has the exact same end goal in mind as the jihadist. He wants to see Sharia law implemented in his non-Muslim society. The jihadist, however is not real patient and wants to see that happen quickly. So he's willing to enter the battlefield and fight, physically fight, for this end goal. The Islamist, on the other hand, wants to work slowly and incrementally using the freedoms and the political systems of the West. They're very patient. If it takes several generations, they're completely fine with that. 
The two do work hand in hand as well, though, however, because when the jihadists, see, the jihadists also serve as a great distraction for us, us ignorant infidels here in the West. They take up a lot of time on the nightly news, these bad, awful, evil jihadists. And see, that gives the Islamist the opportunity to step in and say, oh, we're not like them. Those are the bad Muslims. Come to us, the religion of peace. We're the good Muslims. We know the Quran, and we know the correct interpretations, knowing full well that they have the exact same interpretation as the violent jihadist. But they're cloaking themselves in this religion of peace mantra. They're quoting the earlier verses of the Quran, which were the verses that were given by the angel Gabriel, supposedly, to Muhammad in his early years while he was living in Mecca. And uh, the Meccans did not respond to his message, that the pagan people of Mecca. And so what did he do? After a few years of trying to convert the pagans without success, he started hearing of a plot to assassinate him there in Mecca, and so he fled. He made what's called Hijra, the migration to another city to the north called Medina. Medina was populated by a lot of Jewish communities, and he started spreading his message there, and it sounded good at first to the Jews of Medina because he was speaking of one God, a new monotheistic religion that the Jews thought, well, you know, it doesn't sound that much different than our religion, which we also worship the one true God, Jehovah. But the more they that uh, this was these early stages again that I was talking about earlier, the softer cell, the soft side of Islam that he was using, and it was starting to work, and he was getting some converts. But when Muhammad started divulging some of the details of uh, his new faith, they were starting to realize this doesn't sound like our God at all. And so they rejected Islam. This Allah, God, does not sound at all like Jehovah after all. That is when Muhammad started becoming violent, and some of the more violent verses of the Quran were given to him at that point. And you, you see the Muslim Brotherhood today using this dual-edged sword, the peaceful verses to draw people in, later come the violent verses. But the violent verses are the real Islam because they were given later in the life of of Muhammad. And Islamic doctrine says that if we have two contradicting verses, we go with the later one. That's called the doctrine of abrogation. And so they're able to play both sides of the fence, and it's very effective against the Western mind, and especially the Christians, because we want to love everybody, right? I mean, that's that's in our nature as Christians. And so if somebody comes to us in peace, uh, we're going to accept that, and we're going to take them at their word. But the Bible also warns us to be as wise as serpents, not only as gentle as doves, but as wise as serpents, and to test the spirits of those with which we're dealing and those even who come in the name of peace. Yeah. There are recorded 1.2 billion Muslims in the world today, and of course not all of them are radicals. The majority of them are quote-unquote peaceful people. The radicals are estimated to be between, okay, 15 and 25 percent according to intelligence around the world. Why should we be worried about the radicals? When you look at the lessons throughout history, most Germans were peaceful, yet the Nazis drove the mm. agenda and 60 million died. The peaceful majority were irrelevant. Stalin, Mao Zedong, Japan mm. prior to World War II, the peaceful majority were irrelevant, moderate and peaceful Muslims. Where are the others speaking out? It's time to take political correctness and throw it in the trash where it belongs, isn't it? 
Absolutely, and and it's even more deceptive than that, in my opinion, Sheila, because a lot of those presenting themselves as moderate and peaceful Muslims are the same people who, uh, when they build up a significant force of Muslim population in a country, they will switch to what they call the upper house. You yeah. have the Dar al-Harb, which is the house of war, and the Dar al-Islam, which is the house of peace. But you can't have war if you don't have the numbers, and so they present it, as I was trying to say earlier, as a religion of peace. While I agree that the majority are peaceful, that's only because they're not studying their Quran, they're not going to mosque with regularity, but the good Muslims, you know, the good Muslims who are studying the Quran, they are listening to the imam, they are going to Friday prayers every week, you know, those tend to be the ones who are more susceptible to the message of Muhammad, which the Muhammad is considered the ideal man, the most perfect man who ever lived. So if you are a devout Muslim, you are trying to emulate the life of your messenger, your prophet, Muhammad. And all you have to do is look at the life of this man. Yeah, he was and a pedophile. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Compare the life of this man with the life of Jesus. You know, Jesus never commanded an army. Jesus never had sexual relations with a woman, let alone a child. Jesus never said to kill the Jews or kill his enemies, any of his enemies, and he did have enemies. He never, any, in fact, there were zealots in his time who wanted to take up arms, who wanted to take up arms against the enemies of their Messiah. They were called the zealots, and they wanted to uh, draw the sword against the Roman oppressor. Jesus always says no put down the sword and compare and contrast that message with with the message of Muhammad uh, who said to strike terror strike terror in the hearts of the unbeliever chop off the heads cut off the heads strike off the limbs of the people who oppress and the people who defile or the corrupt people of the land which were often described as the Jews uh, later the Christians so you know you have these two worldviews that are diametrically opposed and then you look at the truth, you look at the message, which is, we're a religion of peace. Well, no, you aren't. You, as an individual, may or may not be a person of peace, but your religion is definitely not a religion of peace. And so I have to wonder about even the moderate reforming Muslims. Where are you going to get a peaceful Quran? Where are you going to get peaceful Hadiths? You know, there's that famous Hadith that says, Oh, Muslim, the time of day, the day of judgment will not come until you fight the Jews. And the day will come where the Jews will be hiding behind a tree or a rock, and the tree will cry out, Oh, Muslim, there is a Jew hiding behind me. Come and kill him. What do you do with those texts? I, I think it has to go back to the fact that this is the land of, of Jesus Christ. This is the land where he made his first coming, and this is the land where he will make his second coming. You know, as long as it is not intact, as long as this land is not intact with Jerusalem, its uh, historic capital, in place, perhaps the forces of evil think that they can put off this day, you know, this day of reckoning, this day of the returning Savior to come and make the final judgment. Maybe they don't even consciously realize this, but they're under the spell of evil spirits in the world. And this is, Sheila, I would be I would be interested to hear your opinion on this, but this is, I believe, like the Apostle Paul said, that it is spiritual forces in high places that we're dealing with here, not just flesh and blood.
Yeah, 100%. I absolutely agree with you. And I used to say this, and I know this offends a lot of Christians, a peaceful religion, a piece of a dead body here, a piece of a dead body there. I mean, this is really harsh. But if people really dig into this, they're going to understand that this what we're saying here is absolutely the truth. There's just no word peace in there. So that's a really deceptive word, frankly. You know, they call it the great Satan. They call the West the great Satan. They have nothing in common with any anything from the West, culturally, morally. So why do they bother coming here, in your opinion? I think that is a question that is easily answered. Go back to the life of Muhammad. This is the life of the man that today's leading Muslim scholars want everybody to emulate. What did he do? When his message was rejected in one place, he made hijra to another place. He made hijra. He made migration. Why do they want to go there? To spread Islam, to spread the message of the prophet and bring it under the dominion of Islam. He brought the message of Islam to a non-Muslim land. Like you said, why would they want to go to a place that that they hate that place? There's mutual hatred. This is why I wrote my book, and that is what my book is all about, to warn people in America and Canada, North America, look to Europe is kind of the message of the book. If you want a, a model of what the intentions of Islam are, look to Europe. We have that model right there for us to inspect if we want to. Let's get out of denial. Let's open our eyes. Let's stop following blind leaders. Remember, Jesus, the Pharisees in his day were like blind guides. He said, leading the flock into the abyss. And this is what we have in the church today, the liberal churches, the liberal denominations. They are led by blind guides telling us Islam is really no different than Christianity. It's a religion of peace. It's just been perverted by groups like ISIS and Al-Qaeda. We must sit down at the same table and, and have interfaith dialogues with these messengers of death whose only intention is to destroy us, if not by violence, but through infiltrating us and, and teaching us their false doctrine. For the most part, the church is kumbaya, love, love, love. Let's have a group hug. Let's all coexist. This whole interfaith thing. It's like we got to have a dialogue. We got to embrace. I mean, it just goes on to the point of nauseam, Leo. But this to me is very dangerous. Well, I think you have a very keen sense of discernment, Sheila, because You're not the only one that I've talked to that has this feeling. Uh, Have you heard about this new movement, relatively new movement, Sheila, the Alliance of Virtue for the Common Good? Oh, yes. They had a big conference in Washington, D.C., and apparently more than 400 faith leaders from the three Abrahamic religions met in D.C. under this umbrella interfaith movement called the Alliance of Virtue for the Common Good. And doesn't that sound wonderful? And they were surprised at how many evangelical leaders actually showed up for this conference. The pastor, it's a pastor and a couple of imams, a sheikh and a reformed Jewish rabbi who are sort of heading it up, but it was initiated by the Muslim element, this trio. Isn't it interesting how these um, interfaith movements are always initiated by the Muslim element? Yeah. Remember a few years ago, we had the common word document that was signed by hundreds of faith leaders saying that we all, you know, believe in the same God and we want to coexist with each other. And it's usually a reform Jewish element 
Parliament, some liberal Christian pastors, and, of course, the Muslim Brotherhood-inspired imams. Oh, and don't forget Hollywood. (laughs) Absolutely. And whenever Hollywood and the media all jump onto a certain theme, it usually doesn't turn out too good for us us Bible-believing Christians, does it? You know, remember a few years ago, what was the big thing? States were passing in America, one state after another was passing referendums at the polls, declaring their state marriage laws to the effect that we would define marriage as being between one man and one woman. I mean, it was just a firestorm. One state after another was voting to do this. This was like around 2009, 2010. And before you know it, within a couple of years after that, We have same-sex marriage in every state, and the Supreme Court has approved it. But this didn't happen overnight. We had TV show after TV show ramming that down our throat, trying to normalize this idea that a man and another man could have a marriage relationship, and a woman and another woman could be in a marriage relationship. You know, so it went from something that was considered completely weird and out of the ordinary to the point that even Barack Obama in his first campaign for presidency, the liberal Barack Obama said he defined marriage as between one man and one woman. But it turned on a dime after 10 years of a constant barrage of messages coming from Hollywood. And now the big thing in Hollywood is normalizing. They've moved beyond same-sex marriage, and now it's transgenderism. Transgenderism, which has been defined as gender euphoria, I think is the psychological term, where a young person, you know, is confused in their formative years as to, you know, their gender. This is a very normal psychological problem that tends to be outgrown by 90% of people if it's not reinforced and encouraged. Well... Now they're changing that through the messages of the media again to be, to normalize it. So when you see the Muslim woman in the hijab and the you know the little fun jokes and this that and the other now coming out through the media in the TV shows, the sitcoms, the movies, you have to ask yourself what's going on here. I think they're trying to normalize Islam, which right now is about 1.2% of the population in America, but they know it's going to be growing over the years. Even if we didn't return to the massive immigration numbers that we saw under the administrations of George W. Bush and, and Barack Obama, it would still be probably the fastest growing religion in America, simply because of the fact that Muslim families tend to be much, much larger than Christian or Jewish families. And so we're going to see that population increasing. It's going to be on steroids, basically. And so this population is going to grow, and as it grows, it's going to want to start implementing elements of Sharia law. And so we need to prep the American population for this. And how do we do it? We do it through the media and through popular culture, through music, entertainment, movies, sitcoms, what have you. You know, it's the gamut. And of course, we know it's in our schools already. And I guess that leads us to what is our proper response to all of this as Christian believers. In my opinion, we are to eschew any sort of not only violence, but even violent talk. You know, you hear all this talk about people, oh, you know, go spread pig's blood or pig's urine or 
pig feces on the mosque door and you'll, they'll leave, you know. Number one, that's false. All that's going to do is make the Muslim community feel more under attack and double down all the more. And, and the worst thing that CARE and the Muslim Brotherhood does against us is this constant victim mentality that, you know, all this Islamophobia and anti-Muslim hate speech, which I believe there is a lot of speech, but there's hardly any hate crimes in this country against Muslims. Very few. Hate crimes against Against Jewish people are more than double those, if you look at the FBI statistics, more than double those that you would find against any Muslim communities or Muslim persons. And many of the attacks that are logged as hate crimes, we find out later that it was just faked. You know, the Muslim woman claims some man, white man, came and yanked off her hijab. Months later, she admits that the more story was completely fabricated. So these statistics are very unreliable, but we do know that hate crimes against Muslims are still very low in this country. We want to keep it that way. We don't want to go down that road. On the other hand, we also don't want to go down the road of interfaith dialogue. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't show up at these meetings. Maybe we should, because the message that they bring to these dialogues is that, you know, while we respect Christianity and we want to live in peace with you, we respect Jesus Christ. He's very important to us, in fact, and he's our second most important prophet in our faith. He's not the Son of God. He did not die on a cross for anybody's sins. He doesn't have the power to forgive sin. He was not resurrected. And he's certainly not coming back again to bring all of his followers into the kingdom. They have their version of Jesus, and he's very different, very different than our version. In fact, he's a violent character who will come back in the last days under Islamic teaching and convert all the Christians to Islam. He will tell them that, you know, you've had it wrong all these centuries. I'm not the son of God. I was just a prophet, and Muhammad was a higher prophet. And he will come back and, quote, break the crosses. That's the whole purpose of the second return of Jesus under Islam. He will break the crosses. He will bring together an army to convert forcibly those who don't accept his message that he was indeed a Muslim and he's not the son of God. And so it's very different, and we should not participate in any way that affirms the Islamic doctrine in that way. Now, if we want to go to these meetings and try to point out the truth, then God bless you, you know, but I would suggest that you get some training before you do that, because these Muslim imams are very clever, very clever. However, what was different about this most recent conference in D.C. was they had a large element, surprisingly, of evangelical leaders who turned out. And these were the very folks who they thought were their enemy number one. They found out they can actually be conned into joining this movement as well. There's a big megachurch out of, I believe, Dallas, Texas, trying to think of the name of the pastor, but he was the ringleader on the Christian side. Bob Roberts? Bob Roberts, that is him, yes. And again, it's the exact same strategy that Muhammad used when he was in those early days trying to convince peacefully some of the uh, opposing religions to join him. You know, he offered the olive branch first. And, you know, then those who reject the olive branch are marginalized and painted as the enemy. To me, Sheila, the end goal of these interfaith movements If you really want to be honest with yourself, the end goal is to get Christians to deny the deity of Christ. Yes. And just sort of fold the tent. If not actually fold the tent, 
de facto fold the tent. In other words, you know, we're not going to push the gospel message anymore among, certainly not in the Islamic countries. And so they're, they will be neutralized. And some of them will actually end up, I predict, converting to Islam. But those who don't convert will be neutralized. They will be relegated to a very lukewarm Christianity that does not aggressively present Christ as the answer to the nations, the, the savior of the world, the forgiver of sin, the one who died for us on the cross and will be returning to reign and rule for a thousand years. That is what is going to be neutralized. And some of them will astonish the world over the next five to ten years, mark my words, some will, will actually convert to Islam. Well, and then look at what's going on in the schools. Every other day, somebody emails me copies of stuff their kids are bringing. This is every state, the slow acclimation to Islam in the schools. This stuff is frightening what these little kids are learning. This is a full-out propaganda assault on our young children. Oh, Sheila, I I had a story uh, on my website. By the way, I have a website for your listeners to go to if they want to keep up on all of this stuff, theleohoman.com. And one of the stories I had a few months ago was a school system in a school district in New Jersey that was actually teaching fifth graders, showing a film that actually concluded that Islam is the one true religion. And they were teaching the five pillars Uh, They're teaching, as you said, all this stuff across the states in our public schools. And I believe even some of the Catholic schools are starting now to initiate their young students into Islam. There's been cases I've uh, seen in Omaha, Nebraska being one, an all-girls Catholic school in Omaha was bringing its students to the local mosque to learn about Islam from the imam there. I've heard the same thing going on in other states. It's, It's very creepy. You've studied this under a microscope. What is your thoughts and feelings on the solution to this? Well, I think number one, and this may sound cliche, but we need to be in prayer. Pray for them and share the gospel with them, praying that they would be uh, get revelation about about Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of Muslims are open to it. If you have a Muslim friend, like I said, many of them are not steeped in the Quran. They never even have read the Quran, or they certainly haven't read the Hadiths. All they know is what their imam tells them, and maybe they don't go to mosque that often. So do not be afraid to share the gospel. Pray for them and share the gospel with them. These are the two most important things we can do. That not only offers the truth to your Muslim friend, but it shows your Muslim friend that he is living in what is still a Christian country. The whole reason that many of the uh, Islamic leaders want more and more of these refugees to come in and these uh, immigrants of other types to come in, and by the way, 80% of the imams in this country of America are foreign-born, trained in Sharia law, most of them at Al-Azhar University, the most prestigious Islamic studies program in the world where they learn about all of these deceptions we've been talking about and how to offer Islam to a non-Islamic society in a way that will be palatable. The reason they want to bring more and more in is so that because they sense why do they want to do it? They sense that Christianity is on the wane. 
in these Western countries. They sense that now is the time, now is the point in history where Islam can have its moment. Islam is fast approaching. In the next 10 to 15 years, I believe Islam is on track to become the world's most numerous religion. They have 1.5 billion adherents right now. There's about 2 billion or so Christians. But Christianity is on the wane, and Islam is seen as on the rise. Forget the fact that it's on the rise, not because people are in love with its message. It's just that Muslim families procreate at a rate far quicker than Christians, and there's also that element of spreading it by the sword in, in other countries throughout Asia and the Middle East. So it is a fact that they are on the rise, Christianity is on the wane. And so they sense that their moment is arising, their historic moment. And this is what gives them boldness. This is what gives them energy to propagate and offer this soft sell I was talking about earlier in the show. It's not all about terrorism. That's one thing we need to get out of our minds. While terrorism is part of it, the thing that I fear much more, because it's so deceptive, Sheila, is this this civilization jihad. It's also called cultural jihad or soft jihad, where they bring it about by corrupting and infiltrating our institutions, and that be the church, the government, and the educational system. If you boil it down, that's essentially it. And so this is why I think it's important to reach out to your Muslim friend in love and tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how your Jesus is different. Your Jesus died for you and love for you, Mr. and Mrs. Muslim. He died for you. And I think that is really the key to it all. A lot of people talk about, you know, electing better politicians. That's never going to happen. Our victories in this country, and I'm sure as you've seen in Canada, are never going to happen through politicians. It starts with us. It starts in the church. It starts with prayer, and it starts with reaching out in love and truth and faith. You're absolutely right. There is no political solution for a spiritual problem. Very well said, Leo. The book is Stealth Invasion. All that information is linked in the description below. Leo, it was a real pleasure to have you on the program today. Thank you for taking the time out of your schedule. Thank you for laying this out for the listeners. Thank you, Sheila, for having me on. And I hope uh, that you will have many, many years of continuing your wonderful ministry on the air. Thank you, Leo. God bless. Folks, that was Leo Holman. The book is The Stealth Invasion, subtitled Muslim Conquest Through Immigration and Resettlement Jihad. Wow, this is such an important topic. And I hope you share the information. Reach out to Leo and let him know you heard him on the program. His information is linked there below. And we are out of time, folks. We will see you next time. God bless you.